Hi, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on June the 22nd, 2014. I like to read the letters that come in to me and the emails because it gives you such a cross-section of society and tells you how they're thinking, lets you know how they think, uh, what's brought them to conclusions, even phases they go through in their lives as they search for different truths and uh, the answer to everything. It always brings me back to the, the basic essential that mankind is always a prisoner of his own age, regardless of the age you're born into. In ancient times, we, we, we think we know so much about, through history, about ancient uh, peoples and uh, trends and so on. People really were thinking in a, in a mythical way much of the time too, because they didn't understand basic education. They had none, most of the people. And uh, they were easily swayed by uh, early religions, the, the paganistic kinds of religions, right down to even sacrifice, because they were terrified of nature in itself or bad crops or disease coming in. They, they would put it down to a curse or something they'd done wrong, offended their deity. And... Uh, They'd make what they thought was recompense. The ultimate sacrifice was generally human life. Uh, and in between, of course, it would still come down to animal sacrifice to appease the god or gods. One of the more frequent events that happened in ancient times, of course, and through many, many centuries up until the last few, were invasions from neighboring tribes and peoples and uh, subjugation of the public into slavery or serfdom of one kind or another. And, but for long times in between, peace in between, you would have uh, fair peace regardless of the conditions or that you were forced to work under or live in. People do adapt into the most horrific circumstances at times, and we are adaptable, as Darwin said. And uh, that, that's a, a survival mechanism to get us through hard times, maybe even for centuries at a time. It depends where you happen to be at that time, where you're born into. But you find, to the rise of the super-religions that came along, again, products of their time, their, their, their area, civilizations, and so on, and the theology built from the cultures of those areas as well, uh, and added to it, and didn't really become powerful, in a sense, until they could use uh, armies. Armies were, were used to, to, to re reinforce when the majority accept the rule of a particular religion, the armies are then used to enforce it for a long time. That's often forgotten today, uh, as the, the, the present religions that uh, are survivors of these um, of earlier phases, uh, they, they alter and change with their times as well, naturally. We also have the so-called progress of science, which has a tremendous impact upon the way we, we live, the conditions, the system in which we live, etc. And we, during the, the revolutionary phases, especially during the industrial era, we find that uh, countries were overthrown because of the conditions that the peasants were forced to work under, radically different from their previous generations, where, they were, where they'd lived on the land at least, even if they were still serfs or slaves, you might call them, because you were what you're bought and sold with the land. But... Uh, for most peasants, it was a fairly serene life. They were left alone. Uh, with, they had less bureaucracy interfering in their lives than we have today, in fact. And they were generally left enough to live. A occasional famines came along, and you took your chances, and you might perish or not. Plagues, all of these things came along uh, as, and went as well. So it depends on the time that you live in. But during the, the, the revolutionary phases, uh, for, for led to nationalism, in fact, which most of them definitely did. Nationalism was always the outcome of big revolutionary phases in the 18th century and onwards as well. And nationalism in itself brought a whole new way of living. It brought the capitalistic systems to the fore, where capitalists then ran the countries at the top. They ran the governments. Often they were one and the same thing. Uh, put their own boys into, or even themselves, into politics. And... Um, the serf was simply moved, as I say, in industrial age from the, the land to the overcrowded cities and forced to do uh, 14 hours a day sometimes of uh, cheap but very hard labor. The revolutions came out of that too. And don't ever forget, during these periods, the intelligentsia 
at the top, the well-educated intelligentsia. Lots of leisure time, you need that to be part of intelligentsia. They could look at everything and, and look at history itself and look at their present conditions and realize they couldn't hold on to this system forever unless they began to modify it and give the appearance of justice and the appearance of uh, uh, some freedoms for the general population, uh, then they would allay uh, a lot of the reasons for causing revolution. They gave you democracy, in other words, too. You always find the class that rule through any particular structural system, regardless of what it's called, uh, even really a religious extent, are a political class. You can't separate the two. Power comes with with a total rule, and a total adherence. If it's a faith or politics or whatever, it's always the same product at the end. It's a form of power. For those, you can also get minority groups, religious groups, who are also incredibly wealthy because being an in-group, they can work tremendously well with each other. They trust each other totally, almost like a secret society, and they could take that course uh, by increasing wealth and, and gaining power through their, their wealthy, wealthy status, etc. Others, other ones use the military style, uh, especially when they got uh, big tax bases to use over the general populations. But then you're, you've always got the chance of rebellion because you're always taking more and more money from the general public. So this is, this is the cause you'll find uh, of wars, part of the cause for wars. Many of the reasons for wars, too, and even mass movements, and you can't really separate the two, because the first thing a nation must do, or, or the, the leaders of a nation must do to get a country on board for any kind of war or massive change is public support. Uh, that's where propaganda, of course, comes in, mass persuasion. But you have to have the reasons uh, behind it where the mass persuasion will seem to work. Uh, otherwise, it will simply not take off at all. Today we have scientific propaganda, tremendous uh, sciences involved in persuading the general population. It's pretty well perfected, so they have less, less chance of outright rebellion or loss of support from the general public for whatever happens. That's why we can have so many wars, ongoing perpetual wars, they call them from the military academies today. That's, this is what it's called, perpetual wars. This is the age for perpetual war, where most of the public don't mind. They don't see uh, the amount of money being squandered uh, to fight various wars. They don't see uh, or even meet those in the big corporations that benefit from the wars. And they have simplistic propaganda as to the reasons why the wars are being fought in the first place, which they often believe completely. It's very simplistic, and propaganda is always kept that way, very simple for the people. If you make it too complex, people can pick holes in it quite easily and find out that it's all a scam. Over a hundred years ago, people who worked, intelligentsia that worked for uh, the big nations, the big superpowers, realized that as they pushed towards globalism, which was always their goal, uh, they would have a lot of kickback from the nations that they created as and to be nationalistic. People get used to having their own nation. You have slightly more protections to do with food and prices at home, for instance. When you go global, you lose those protections and you lose whatever identity you think you have with influxes of, of, of people from abroad, of different cultures, etc. This is all understood over 100 years ago by the countries that for, had already formed leagues, as like the League of Nations, for instance. And these are big superpowers that knew where they were all headed. They knew they had to work in concert to get where they wanted to go and to bring in new policies. Hence, the, the societies that worked behind the scenes and ran politics from behind the scenes, like the Milner Group, Alfred Milner, uh, the big, his group joined with the Rhodes Group and became the Royal Institute for International Affairs, also called the Council on Foreign Relations in other countries. But they had their big think tanks working all the time from then to this present time on how to keep people uh, fairly happy as all these massive changes took place. They understood the causes of nationalism because their, their, their earlier founders had been responsible for creating nationalism 
in different countries, supranationalism, had to then be destroyed gradually, very gradually, by massive, a hundred years of propaganda gradually, and even wars to, to, to get the point home. You, you, couldn't, you couldn't go on being, being nationalistic in order to create the super international system going. So now the global citizen idea is spoken about openly amongst general population who don't even know what it means or who originated the idea. And the, the big foundations behind promoting it or anything like that. It sounds a good idea. In fact, it's very religious in, it, in the way that it's put forth that we'll all get on well happily together. That's the same kind of old idea. And and this has been pushed and it's been started off in primary education, even kindergarten education onwards for quite some time now to ensure they get the right crop of generations growing up where those ideas have been inculcated. History is often cut up for us or divided into different segments to give us a common understanding as we talk to each other about eras in history as we know it, or at least we're the authorized versions. But um, and all versions we have today pretty well are the authorized versions by whatever system ends up dominating and, and winning in the end. But you'll find that during the Enlightenment phase in history, uh, for the first time they floated the idea again of individual freedoms and individual liberty. Individuality was the key. And that didn't last too long because individuality it really is a fairly new concept and it never had much of a play. We think today we can be individuals because we can take a, uh, one of our many choices and hobbies, whatever we want to do or think or believe or whatever, and we think that is individuality. And that's not what it is at all. Individuality, as it was understood a long time ago, was to be completely out of context with everyone else at times, but being left alone to think as you, as you, as you wish to think or speak or whatever. And that will never be allowed, as I say, in, in systems of rulership, regardless of the kind of rulership that you think you're living in, whereas democratic, as, as we were trained to think of it, or totalitarian, fascist, whatever it happens to be, or communist. In fact, in communism, you, the whole idea is to lose your individuality to serve the common good, the whole good. That's the front that's used uh, to persuade the, the public to go along with it. What we'll find, too, in some forms of Christianity, that's also used there to serve the common good. And yet the original Christianity, if you read a little bit we have by the, original, the originators of it, it, it was also to, 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 for the person themselves to attain um, a oneness, uh, to be brought into the presence of God to an extent, uh, and even if those around them were not which is a form of individuality. And once a concept is, is a great concept, an idea that rings a bell inside of us or strikes the chords, people tend to lose their individuality and, and, and succumb to an authority of those who know how to use movements of any kind or create movements. You can't really create them. You have to come in uh, when the conditions are ripe to create a movement. Otherwise, you'll get no followers whatsoever. Winston Churchill, forever, for instance, he was a, a guy who wanted to make his mark in history. Maggie Thatcher was too, and she said her, Churchill was her hero. In fact, he, he led Britain through a war, and she couldn't think of anything more great than her lifetime than to be the proud position of leading Britain through a war. So she got her little war called the Falklands War. But that was to get her name down in history. But Churchill himself, during the 1930s, early 30s, couldn't make a mark for himself. He'd even change parties often, depending where, which way the wind was going. And he, he was ignored until uh, World War II really came to conclusion, an inevitable conclusion for the beginnings of it. And suddenly, because he was a man on the spot, you might say, who'd verbalized so much, and been listened to and got so much uh, propaganda put out, he was the man put in, in charge of it. You don't need to be intelligent to be what's called a great leader, uh, and you don't need to even be a fanatic, and you simply have to have those 
people around you, the officer class, if you like, uh, to believe in you uh, as though you're some kind of holy guy. They're the guys who put things into to, to shape. They get the plans into working order and make it, make it happen. But the person at the top doesn't really have to do that. So things are more complex often than they're portrayed to the general public in very simplistic forms. Globalism has its backlashes from the public too because they're feeling the pinch of the standard of living in the West and they have for a long time plummeting like a stone. And that's all part of globalization because those at the top have their peer groups at, uh, in other countries who also, and so they all collectively see the people beneath them as the masses or the peasants, you might say. And for austerity's sake, for, for um, so-called sharing the wealth uh, and how much they want to allow the public share uh, or have the public share in the, in the wealth, uh, the standard of living has to drop globally across the planet rather than bring other countries up to a higher standard equivalent to, to the, uh, say, the standards they had in the U.S. during the, the late 60s, early 70s. We must all plummet down and get to some sort of unhappy or happy medium in between for the global system. And as they bring the system in, you're being trained constantly into authoritarianism uh, under the guise of war on terror, which is constantly expanding to, to really go after people who have contrary opinions on things. That's enough to be labeled as a terrorist for having contrary opinions. Everything is coming into play, as some of us knew it would do a long time ago, because it's a repetitive pattern in history, especially to do with the control over masses and, and the mass movements that come out of them. So I tell people always be very careful about what you simply jump into. Uh, most folk truly are reacting to, to things that are happening today as opposed to understanding it and then planning uh, tactics of speaking out in a proper fashion to convey the proper ideas to people. And things will take time, obviously, uh, because it takes time to get messages out to the public so that maybe down the road, who knows when, the public will, will demand, and that's what it's demanding, the, the proper kind of change, not the guided change we're used to, the manipulated guided, guided change that we're used to, uh, of the same intelligence that they're already rulers, but something that's more original from the general public themselves. And the one thing that they do like today is a common philosophy. There's a lot of irony and even the, the student protests that you often see because students have always been used via the professors who are deliberately inserted into a lot of universities uh, to get protests started, to, to get the big ideas started, which are always eventually controlled and very often lead nowhere. Or where they do lead is exactly where the powers that be wish them to go end up, and they do. Um, they always think it's from themselves. Every generation, especially the young, think they're behind uh, the big changes, but they don't realize, no, you're simply the, 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 the agent being used to implement the changes and to push for the changes, which are sold to you as some kind of excess freedom, which you never had before. And I remember, as again regarding the fact that they lack a common philosophy, uh, when they were pushing the anti-globalism agenda, through, uh, through university students. So for the general public, there was a show of protest on television uh, at the big uh, globalist meetings that they were having with the G8, G20, and all the rest of it. And um, the students would turn up en masse. And, and these, these big meetings are all like a circus. You get people with, dressed like clowns with drums, all the different old hippies turn up as well, and lots of students. And I remember at one of the globalist meetings, it was in Canada, the, uh, when the protests were going on, one of the dignitaries, as I like to call them, uh, that, went, that were attended went down uh, to the front steps of this big, huge building. And he said, what is it you want? And they couldn't even verbalize. The students couldn't verbalize. Like they they're all stunned that they'd been asked the question. They knew how to protest, but none of them had a thought about verbalizing anything specific that they actually wanted. 
And at that time, the big thing that was, that was radicalizing them too was supposedly the concern for third world countries being used as cheap slave labor, which of course they always have been. They forget their own countries were used that way too for a long time. But um, it was ironical when one of them, with a poster waving the, the, this, this placard about um, fair wages for China and so on, and, and, and they're standing there with their Nike shoes on and their T-shirts on with their slogans on, all made in China. The irony was, was uh, incredible. And I don't know how many folk caught it, very few, probably, even the person who probably wore them. But, but I thought, this, this is just ridiculous. Because the reason that they can afford to even be out that day protesting and so on in a society like this is because all this stuff is coming from the slave labor in other third world countries. And they like to wear the things that are produced for them with their brand names by the big corporations and all the rest of them that, that own the slave labor and the, the, the new factory plantations. They all have their cell phones today, all their their their, their cheap uh, electronic gear, uh, but no, they, they don't see the irony at all. Uh, they themselves, if they were, they were, the people over in China were paid adequate wages, wouldn't be able to afford those cheap cell phones and their cheap entertainment that they have today without the slave labor in China. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just, I'm just pointing the facts out. That's all I do is point out facts. Now, this is what you'll find in the 21st century, especially. It was already happening uh, the latter part of the 20th century, but so-called big movements and protest movements and so on were actually advocated from the top, not from the bottom. The bottom were always used, unknowing uh, to, to the bottom uh, bunch. But um, they're often financed. The groups were financed by big foundations. The foundations are simply uh, the alternative political means or one alternative of the political means to, to, to get things noticed and discussed in politics, which the big foundations and the guys who own them also own. They own the political establishment as well. Therefore, these protest movements are authorized by the governments which they're protesting. I found that out a long time ago. Incredible wealth uh, that was put into the NGO groups, the authorized ones. They were all authorized to exist by government. They got funding from government. They got funding from foundations. The leaders were trained professionals. And how could that possibly be a grassroots movement? There's nothing. You don't find grassroots movements today. If you did actually, and they were not authorized, they'd be banished very quickly, or taken over and then authorized and licensed. Today we really have well-funded, authorized opposition groups of all kinds, well-managed, so that they never end up really doing anything or changing anything, and definitely never to the extent or even the direction in which they're supposedly there to exist for. So, unless it's authorized from the top. The West studied the Soviet system carefully. In fact, they're heavily involved, I've mentioned so many times, in the creation of the Soviet system, and we funded them and fed them during the entire Soviet era. They could even feed themselves. But they were a, it was a big laboratory for getting away with things on testing on the individuals and small groups and large groups and the whole population. Fantastic laboratory and uh, lots of uh, behaviorists and psychologists and scientists went back and forth to, to, to the Soviet system all through the Cold War with no problems at all in, trans in, in travel whatsoever, no restrictions, because they, they knew where it was to end up down the road. We know that from the, the Rees Commission in 1953 to merge the Soviet-style system with that of the West. And that's already happened. In fact, it's happened awfully well. And um, many of the things that the communists uh, wanted to get through have, have already happened. Remember, in communism, you, you basically... Sacrifice, the sacrifice of yourself, the individuality for the good of the whole and for the, a future. There's always a utopic future down the road. We will all live happily ever after together in bliss. An old, old theme and has gone under many guises in the past, but it always tends to work, especially again with idealistic youth.
as a natural thing in youth is a form of idealism. The mass movement, you'll find too, they want obedience. Obedience, as I say, basically submergence of your own self and blind obedience into the the whole system. Uh, You must control impulses of of selfishness or or personal goals and so on to to the whole, the greater good. And that's being more and more forced down our throats today as the big boys understand the tactics so well and they use this, this um, oneness idea. And hence that the new age comes out for all those who are looking for answers to things and it channels those energies into uh, the universal consciousness and the unified field theory. All these things that they don't often grab a hold of, never realizing they're very clever minds way above them in very expensive suits and ties, dreamed all this up for them and helped promote it all and put the authors out there to write their, churn out their books, mass-produced books and so on, to, to, to fascinate the mind and give them the sense of the ideal. Therefore, all mass movements, all of them, put obedience with the highest virtue, amongst the highest virtues, you should say, and on a level with faith. It's a holy thing. You find it with, with Stalin. You find it too with Lenin and uh, Trotsky to an extent as well. Trotsky gave some leeway to the individual and that was his downfall. He couldn't get the lieutenant class around him as the, the, Soviet, the rest of the Soviets did, Stalin did, or Adolf Hitler for that matter. His immediate followers around him, his coterie, were, had blind faith in, in the man and they could implement ideas and make them work. So this is how uh, these mass movements work. Remember, there are always followers and there's leaders. You'll sometimes find the leader of a mass movement who's propagating some new idea, philosophy, or whatever it happens to be, has less belief in his own philosophy uh, than the followers. It's important to him that followers go along with it and truly believe. They are the true believers, where he himself is more of an individual because he enjoys getting it started. He has the power of a CEO or even larger. And he gets all the claim and fame that he wants, the glory, so-called glory as they call it. In another field, he may have gone in to be an, a cattle rustler. Many of the British aristocracy and European ones began as cattle rustlers and thieves and plunderers. And the next generation, once they're in a power of wealth, a position of wealth, uh, they put their children into the best schools and they become a, a new kind of aristocracy. In the U.S., you can look at the Rockefellers and other, other big families, of course, who had sometimes less than honorable uh, beginnings to get started. And then their, their descendants are then worshipped by the general public as being successful people because they now run in a legal fashion things which may be immoral in their tactics, etc., to gain incredible monopoly power over whole vast fields of energy and resources and, and so on. Uh, but that's the way things are today. I've often mentioned the psychopath smells the wind. He smells the times in which he lives and the moment in which he lives and he will seize uh, the chance when it occurs to him or appears to him. He'll grab it and he knows which uh, side to join to, to get what he wants, the position he wants to be in. He'll say all the right things. He'll feel your pain. He'll verbalize everything that's been discussed amongst the general pot, the disaffected people, you might say. Mass movements need genuine grievances to take off. Otherwise, they'd go nowhere. You would, no one would get any converts to it. Therefore, there has to be true grievances there where people are frustrated and uh, either there's lack of opportunity for even work, nor mind upward mobility. So many things can cause uh, the grievances to, to be prevalent throughout society. Economies fail, this kind of thing. This is a great problem during or just before World War II in the Western countries, the fear of communism uh, and revolution if they couldn't get out of the Great Depression. Uh, which was uh, worldwide at that time. Uh, Some countries more so than others. But there's one form of mass revolution we don't think about today. Uh, 
And that's when the system you're in, which you think is yours, gradually transforms itself into such a way that it in itself is a mass movement from within, at the top. And really that's where it's all gone today because professionals have studied this phenomenon for centuries of the rise and fall of nations. Nations generally rose in the past through so-called great leaders, men of action as opposed to men of thought or intellect. And they would use force and conquest and create blind followers for for whatever um, was their, their mottos or slogans and so on. And they would find those followers as long as you were winning. But eventually you'd run out of enemies or you'd be beaten yourself. And that was the end of that. Some other, buddy, some other person from your, your own country or another nation would take over and, and form its own empire, create its own empire by the same techniques. We, we some think that your system that you think is democracy can be taken over from the top by elites and intelligentsia who have studied this phenomenon and who understand it perfectly well that they can't allow this to happen at a time where even though we have these wars across the world, we don't have the all-out uh, great wars, as they call them, or world wars going on forever. We do certainly have perpetual wars, there's no doubt about that. And therefore they came up with uh, ideas to manage the public in a more scientific manner. I've mentioned about many of the big players in the past uh, that helped to to decide what kind of system and uh, they bring in and how to manage it and manage the general public and in such a way that incrementally and through training and education, generation by generation, they could hold on to a society as they were taking away uh, the rewards that the society had from their work and their labor and their adherence to the system. That's what we're in today. And therefore, going into global society and a system, you have to uh, be constantly monitored. That's one thing about it, no doubt about it. Force is always used in mass societies, coercion and force. And the force can take many guises today, of course, under the guise of terrorism or anti-government or anti-establishment, whatever it wants to be called, whatever. Uh, that's a technique that's used today to nip things in the bud before they can get out of hand. Uh, as a system that you still is, you're being trained and told is yours, even though the general public, the average person can see that somehow this is not the system that's, that's propagated to them through propaganda, uh, it's not the same system as actually exists. It's something beyond that. And there's many names for it, of course. We call it fascism, where corporations rule, and they rule governments too. And it's very, very true. It's closer to that than anything else. But the same fascists give you a form of collectivism down below. This is what they, 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 they call uh, this new system of austerity and communitarianism for the global society. It's very, very clever because there are countless think tanks working full-time and they have access with intelligence networks of all our data constantly to keep the pulse of the public. They know what the topics are, the themes that are coming around the public and what they're chatting about and so on, and they know how to nip it in the bud and try to counter it. This is a delicate process that's going on today over playing their hand at the top would require excessive force and they don't want to show excessive force because that's exactly what the communists tried to use from the Soviet Union on the West. If they could goad the West into coming out with, with outright authoritative force on the public, that would help to foment rebellion uh, on behalf of the Soviet-type system, communism. But today it's very well managed. This is a scientifically controlled society in which we actually live. And don't forget for an instant, too, that they understand that if people who became leaders were to possibly arise, they could be a threat. Therefore, they can often, they'll often supply you with the leaders. As I said before, the NGOs that seem to be all for you are segments. More, more, that's more correct, actually. Segments of you, uh, which is a red herring in a sense, or a caveat. You don't realize that... that uh, they're not yours at all. They're being funded, as I say, by you. Your tax money funds them and the big private foundations, which are uh, front organizations set up by the, by the big giant international corporations and very wealthy families.
if you truly lived in a democratic society, you would all have the same rights. You wouldn't find what you're finding today as under the guise of democracy. They're putting on a show of helping certain groups, distinct minority groups of all kinds, and elevating them up to special status. And people are misguided thinking, well, that's democracy in action. If it was democracy in action, no. Uh, You'd all have the same rights for employment and everything else and housing and and you name it. But that's not what's what's actually happening. That's not democracy as you're seeing it. It's a technique of divide and conquer in order to rule over all of you. Because with each special rights a group gets, more than the whole, uh, it causes dissension and anger among certain segments of society. This is called the century of change. Uh, the changes that they've talked about, of course, are, are, are bringing in not just the authoritarian system, eventually it's, it's, it's an even better scientific control over the general population, not just complete monitoring over every individual and what they do in their spare time and so on, but also the indoctrination in a more perfected form from birth right through their lives to death. That's what they mean by the scientifically controlled society. Uh, where you're finding it being implemented in certain ways. Very old idea, by the way, uh, through psychology and psychiatry and pharmaceutical agencies working together uh, by the drugging of young children and the mandatory testing of young children throughout their lives from the age of two years old or even younger, as in the case of Scotland with the GERFIC program. So this is to make sure that there's uh, fine adjustments given to the child all through, and it upwards through their lives, constant psychological evaluations, testing them for their opinions to make sure that they're standardized. If they're not standardized, they'll have to be rectified or drugged or whatever else and go through therapies to be uh, properly adjusted. And this is their scientific control. And it's not to end there. We also know that massive amounts of money have gone into to fields uh, not just big pharma to do with uh, active mind or control substances, but also we find it in the, the electrical systems as well of the body where they can be manipulated, fine-tuned and so on from outside the body and manipulated by electrical magnetical waves, magnetic waves. And we know that the body cells work on very minute uh, currents, you don't need a lot, a strong signal to do so. Therefore, uh, single antennas in certain areas can cause uh, our moods to change um, very simply and cheaply too by, for the authorities and make you passive. And passivity also makes you more suggestive to propaganda, things like that. So you find there are many techniques at play right now to ensure the rule uh, done through society without some great massive upheaval as was seen in the past with great mass movements, um, which caused massive bloodshed, etc., etc. Uh, this is, in fact, these are the reasons they give at the top for quietly and secretively implementing these techniques upon the general public today without their consent, for the greater good, in other words, for stability. Something else those at the top have learned and I don't mean temporary rulers, or what you see as temporary rulers, but this perpetual system that's, that's always there, uh, generation to generation. What they also see uh, and understand is that uh, anything which is too overt will be resisted by the public in some way or another, at least by a segment of society. And therefore, they, underst- they put so much money and incredible studying into us, how we tick, how we work, etc. Human nature, you might say. And they found, of course, that, that uh, if they make things attractive and appealing, we can actually swallow the poison, you might say, because we get some benefit, uh, even though temporary, in, in the actual taking off the poison. And by that I mean, if we look at the effects of uh, electrical radiation from cell phones and so on, Almost everyone's got the cell phone today because from the cell phone they, they find a gratification there uh, of things which they wouldn't have without it. So 
um, this is how they plan to implement all the different techniques down the road, is making things desirable. We desire, to an extent, our own demise because of the temporary gains we think we're getting from the gadgetry which are being supplied and where they want to take it down down the, the road, as I say. It was interesting to me, for instance, that um, many of the studies have done on on hidden cameras, CCTV cameras, uh, which they're using in some of the elderly homes, uh, where they're occasionally looked in upon by workers. Sometimes, uh, if they're fairly ambulant, they're not looked in so often, but they have the cameras there and they're monitored. They found out that people wouldn't behave uh, uh, or relax properly if they knew they were being monitored. So when they could hide the cameras... The people, would, the people would know they were there, but accept them and gradually forget their presence altogether. It's much the same with, with, with the way things work today with society and where science is taking people. Uh, it's very, very effective indeed. The Pentagon has put out papers. Other universities have put papers out on, on uh, of the electrical phenomenon, the way that uh, the eye perceives things, for instance with high definition and high pixels, etc. And the Pentagon did publish um, papers that they could weaponize, that had tried it and it worked, they could weaponize a screen by simply using certain colors and frequencies and and, uh, subliminal flashes, which could alter brain patterns. And even if they wanted to, they could cause electrical signals to turn off the, the impulse that goes to the heart and stop the heart. Totally weaponized, very scary stuff. So that's where most money goes. It's not going to, to help people, it's going to control people. And this is the, a phase in history which we've never seen before, because generally plots were uncovered and the public would have a righteous indignation. Uh, people of different persuasions of faith or whatever could come together and agree that this was all bad and do something about it. But today, with the techniques of psychology, behaviorism, and neuroscience all working together, uh, then it's much more difficult, especially when the general public still are addicted uh, to certain things like entertainment, constant entertainment. Now it's instant communication and perpetual communication. Um, They can be uh, influenced much more easily by things which are invisible to them, but in their possession. This might seem far-fetched to some people because you've been trained to be skeptical about things like this that's not made a big deal of by the media. The media tells you what to think about, what to even worry about because you've come to accept it as an external part of your own reasoning and it's not there for that reason whatsoever. But you've got to understand that, uh, that medicine is specializing, has been for a long time, in certain areas to do with electrical, electrical impulses. They under, they've been checking out the frequencies of each type of cell, tissue cell in the body. And every organ has made of different tissues. They give different frequencies off and so on. And even uh, the, the nourishments that, that, that pass along the body uh, and enzymes and proteins have a frequency too, and when it, when it matches the particular one of that tissue, it it transmits across to the actual tissue itself that, that uses it. Other frequencies are bypassed altogether and ignored. So this is a spin-off of the weapons industry. All medical so-called um, revelations that come along come as an offshoot of the weapons industry. And weapons, remember, we've got to stop thinking of, of, of just basic weapons like cannons and all the rest of it and think of it as overall structures of control because that's really what weaponry is. And it's being used on the general public in ways which they don't understand or even know that exist. Even during the early days of radar, they understood perfectly well, very quickly, the effects of people who stood in the transmission pass of radar the health effects. And they also understood those around the frequency, because there's also a scatter off a beam. There's an outside scatter, they call it. Uh, and those around those areas, a uh, particular scatter, would become ill in, in very specific ways, which were soon understood uh, with common symptoms, etc. 
But the same thing's happening today with uh, all the Wi-Fi and microwave energy in the air. There are over, I think, 700 to 800 new types of frequencies in the atmosphere, electrical frequencies which did not exist in nature. And we live with them every day. And so I say, since we're chemical, biological, electrical uh, beings, it's quite easy to see how that can be manipulated. And that was the idea of the warfare industry when they understood that an awful long time ago, that they could manipulate uh, uh, whole populations uh, by certain types of weaponization of these frequencies and directions of them, etc. This touches on psychotronic uh, warfare, which uh, Brzezinski talked about in his book Between Two Ages. And he said shortly a, a technique will be used, can be used on the public, which obviously it was already working then for him to say that. Uh, they, they had it uh, and they knew it worked. And there's lots of documentation come out from people who are involved in these projects actually since then. Uh, where they could, he said, he said, we could put beams across a whole continent and influence the behavior of whole populations. And that was in the 1970s he wrote that particular book. So it's not far-fetched at all. People will say, well, they would never do that. See, the unthinkable is, is, is always a safeguard the elites count on. People think that's unthinkable, therefore they'd never do that. But there's nothing which has ever been invented, and there's no weapon that's ever been invented that has not been used. And when so much time and care has gone into maintaining power and control, even when that, that form of power is obviously changed at the top, uh, then uh, people still don't want to think it can be used on them. But, but that's the one thing that's paramount in those who understand uh, the control of societies in, in scientific ages. Uh, they must use science upon the general public, more advanced sciences beyond persuasion and coercion, as they've done in the past. In the past, those things which worked uh, often took a long time, a period of time, to, to defy and have altered or stopped, nipped in the bud, you might say. Uh, today, is there that much time? Because the, the pro, so-called progress or rate of advancement of scientific technique is extraordinary, extraordinary in its speed. There's so much money and wealth and power going into it, so many industries involved in it today too. Many universities doing studies uh, and doing experimentation for the big military-industrial complex that they're, they're so far ahead. Do you really have time uh, to educate the people over a, a two or three generations to stop th something from happening. It doesn't really seem that way. And it's even worse, as I say, when youngsters are trained very early on. They're even about toy cell phones for, for babies, basically, making sure that uh, this is a normal thing to have in their possession from the earliest of ages, just to get them used to the idea. And that's only one part of a process which they, they plan to have you follow up throughout your lives. So it's rather scary, as I say. And uh, there's never been a time in history where such technique has been used on the public and plans to be used on a, a massive, even a world scale eventually, uh, for the supposed world peace. World peace means the absence of all opposition, remember. And opposition means free thought, absence of free thought. It's a very scary time indeed to live. It's not a time to panic and put your head in the ground either, because uh, those who don't speak out um, can only blame themselves down the road. Uh, they can't blame themselves for all happening. It's happening because you do. We've always had rather uh, evil people in power. I don't care what kind of regime it's called. There's always been evil people that, that work their way in. The psychopaths will do it in any type of regime and eventually take it over from the inside if they possibly can. And that's what, of course, has happened some, some time ago. I used to wonder why many of the philosophers of the 20th century who are all for this system that I'm talking about right now um, blamed the general public. And they did, not the leaders, not the manufacturers of weaponry. They blamed the public for being so willing to follow armies into war or follow leaders for revolutionary purposes. 
And uh, as I say, they've been working steadily ever since to ensure that could never happen again. And I mean never happen again. If your mind can't work properly, it never, ha- if it never has worked properly from your birth because of different techniques used upon you, what chance would you possibly have? But at the same time, since there's a slim chance today of understanding these things, we should definitely be talking about them because that's how ripples spread and that's how things can be challenged down the road if we have time to challenge anything at all in open forums, etc. And it has to be done rather quickly. The problem is counterintelligence is always involved. Leaders are supplied who start talking the talk that you're talking about and then they'll take it off into outer space or into finding your your, your inner being or, or your, your vibratory self and you can vibrate out all the nonsense they bring into until they can discredit actual fact. They're awfully good at taking basic facts and and helping to discredit them. And you get lumped in with those who bring out the fantastical. Uh, remember, too, it's not UFOs that are doing this. It's another great ploy that they use, too. It's, oh, it must be aliens because humans would never do this to us. Nonsense. The history of humanity really has been quite a horror show for much of its existence. And uh, the solution, as elites see it, who understand the histories, they said that they're well taught and versed in all of this. They get, they get lectures all the time by top philosophers and historians. They understand it well. They don't plan that happening again by, by in other words, rebellions or, or any change from the public whatsoever down the road. Be very, very weary. Uh, humans do this. Humans are doing all of this. Our money, our sciences, our education, academia is on board with this for world peace, as you want to call it. And you better ask yourself what they mean, when, what they mean by peace. Never think you have the same definition uh, as, a, as a term would imply. Because they have their own definitions of pretty well all of the slogans they, they put out there for you to follow and chant. Just a thought, as I say. I never really prepare any talk. I just talk, talk off, of the, off the top of my head, depending on what's in my head at that particular moment. So you can always check into these, these uh, things I'm talking about. You can get the sublime to the ridiculous, because as I say, there'll always be counterintelligence out there. But stick with the basic facts, the provable published facts. And there's lots of them out there on these particular topics, especially the electronic-type warfare technologies. Uh, there's lots and lots of information out there. From Hamish Massey, Frontier, Canada, it's good night to me, your God, or your God's go with you. <laughs>